we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Things always work out better in my own mind, but um, grateful for those moments. If you're new with us today, thank you so much for worshiping with us. We want to know that you are here, um, and so if you could let us know by going to fbcsa.org connect. You can even do that on your device right now. It's just a really simple way just to let us know, hey, I was here worshiping with you, and we'd love to make a connection with you at a later time. Uh, We are in the book of James, this pastoral letter, probably the first pastoral letter to these early Christians in Jerusalem and other Jews that had scattered, other Jewish Christians that had scattered to other places, uh, mostly because of many, remember many came to Pentecost and came to faith in Christ and they went back to their own homes. Uh, Some others had scattered because of persecution. They began to face um, hardship because of leadership in Jerusalem, and they were being oppressed and persecuted. But all that to say is that we have been in this, this small, little, powerful letter uh, to the earliest Christians, and it's been so good for us. So uh, we are in chapter two. We finished chapter one last week, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to James chapter two, or go on your device uh, to go to James chapter two so you can follow along with us. And we're going to stand right now, and we're going to read together just the first four verses of James 2. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we always need your Spirit's help to help us see and hear your words and to put them into practice in our life. We're desperate for the work of your spirit. So help us today, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So um, James is really trying to encourage and exhort these believers in one very focused way. And let me sum up that by saying this. James is saying to them then and to us now, Christian, Stop giving preferential attention to those you deem more worthy to receive it. Or in a more positive way, James is saying to us, I want you to live an indiscriminately merciful life to everyone. I want you to be indiscriminate with your mercy. 
I don't want you to just give mercy to a certain kind of person that looks a certain way or has certain things. Be indiscriminate in the way that you show mercy. And then Pastor James in this text is going to provide us his reasons, and he's going to hit at his reasons in a different or several different angles. And so I just want to walk through a few of those with you. And so the first reason that James gives us not to live that kind of prejudicial way, giving some people preferential treatment, is because God has chosen the least of us. Now we know we just came out of this scripture reading where James provides for us an example of what prejudice looks like. He says, you know, a rich person comes into your gathering and you give all of your attention on this rich person. You want to make sure they, they have the best seed and uh, you want to make sure that you get their name and they get their, uh, your name and you give all of your attention and at the same time, a poor person comes into the room and essentially you ignore them. The rich person, you give the best seat in the house. The poor person, you say, oh, I'm glad you're here, but you can sit over there. You give very little attention. And, and so James says, don't be like that. You can't do that. You can't do that. Um, but he provides a reason for that. In verse, verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2, say this. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And he goes on. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Man, he loves these people. Right? He, he, he's not trying to beat them up here. He loves them. He says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? So his first reason why we should abandon all prejudice and be indiscriminately merciful to all is because the mission and heart of God is... Um, is to bless the poor in this scenario, that God has chosen the least of us. Hasn't God chosen the poor person that walked into your room, into your gathering? At the end of that example in verse 4, I want you to hold on to something. We're going to come back to it. He says, your judgments are guided by evil motives. And then he introduces, just like I mentioned, God's motives. God has chosen the poor. The reality is, uh, as we look at our world and throughout history, historically and globally, uh, Christianity has always flourished among the broken and the powerless in the world, those who lack wealth and influence, except in Europe at the time when church, the church held all the power. Uh, that's an exception. But even today in demographic studies, we have learned that in more affluent, this is general statements, more, in more affluent communities, fewer and fewer individuals and families hold to any kind of spiritual beliefs, right? And so that's kind of been true globally and throughout history. And, and Jesus gives us a, a simple reason for that. Remember, he said, you know, it's more... It's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle, needle than for the rich man uh, to come to faith, to be saved. 
And why is that? And Jesus is making a very clear, stark reality that, that when a man or woman is man-centered and is trusting in their own resources, wealth, power, and influence, then that kind of man-centeredness or pride doesn't move them to recognize that they need a redeemer. They're fine just the way they are. They can take care of themselves. And Pastor James is echoing that sentiment in these verses, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what he, is, that's what he has been doing. And then, of course, Mary. Remember, the mother of Jesus kind of affirmed that mission and heartbeat of God that he had for the humble, the powerless, and the poor. Um, and we see that in Luke chapter 1, verses 51 through 53. Let me read that. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones, the ones that don't need God. Right? They can trust in their own resources. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Paul would say the same exact thing in 1 Corinthians uh, verses 26 through 29. He would say, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Few of you are wise or powerful. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those, shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing with, to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Both the mother of Jesus and Paul say, echoing James, is yes, absolutely, that has been the mission of God to oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. And so Pastor James is telling these church leaders and these early Christians, he says, you can't adopt the same mentality and attitude towards power and wealth that's in the world. You've got to reshape how you think about what's important in life and what has greatest value. You can't be like those out there. We have to be very, very different. So the point is this, that James is trying to make for us, is that the people that society had traditionally rejected or passed over or set aside, God had received. He had said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the people who didn't need God, or at least so they thought, because of their hope and their own wealth, their bank accounts, or their influence, or their power, he rejected them. He rejected the proud so that no man or woman could boast. That's always been the heartbeat and mission of God, to receive those who are ready to receive him, who are humble and poor and broken. Pastor James would say, church, stick with that mission. Stick with that heartbeat of God. Uh, give special attention to the weak and the passed over and those who have been put aside because that's what the world does, but that's not what we do as the church. We do what God does and what he's doing. And so we go back to James chapter 2, verse 4, and he says, listen, if you 
demonstrate that kind of prejudice in your church where you are giving special attention to the rich and ignoring the poor, then you're doing so with evil motives. So now, what is the evil motives? The evil, the good motives and the righteous motives of God is to give to those who are poor in spirit, to inherit the kingdom of God, to give. And he's exposing that when you give attention based upon someone's income and their wealth and influence, if you favor them, then your motives are evil because you're just posturing yourself or trying to curry favor to that person because you don't think you can get anything from the poor person. And he's saying you've got you, to change the way you think about what's important in this world. Uh, you, you've got to give mercy in the same way that God gives mercy. We have to be different than the way the world does things and thinks about what's important. It's not about getting. It's about giving in the same way that God gives, we are to indis- indiscriminately give. The second reason that Um, Pastor James says we can't live that kind of way. We we can't be prejudicial people. We can't give favor to some and not to others um, with a very blunt reason. In in James chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says this, but you dishonor the poor when we act that way. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you hear? Now, at first glance, it would seem that James is trying to tell us to exchange one kind of discrimination for another, right? Don't discriminate against the poor, discriminate against the rich because of these reasons. I don't think that's what James is getting at when he says these kind of things in these verses, that isn't it the poor that's dragging you into court? Uh, Isn't it the, I mean, isn't the rich that are dragging you to to court, isn't it the rich that are slandering the name of Jesus? His point is not, well, don't be kind and merciful to the rich because they don't deserve it. That's not what his point is. Uh, What Pastor James is saying is that we live in a world system that exalts and celebrates power and wealth. And we must be different with inside the church. We must be different with inside the church. We have to think about the world differently, as I've already mentioned. We we live in a, a world system that, again, favors the powerful and the influential. Even unintentionally, just happens. The, the rich and powerful have a way of navigating the world and oftentimes at the, at the expense of the poor. And again, James is making very general observations here. It would seem that the rich and powerful in our world system, the where our world runs, has every single advantage. It's why rich and famous people get free stuff. Ever thought about that? They, get, they walk into a hotel. A hotel gives them a free room. like, they're the people that could afford 100 hotel rooms. Why give them a free hotel room? I mean, we give gazillions of dollars of endorsement deals to guys who already have a gazillion dollars, right? I mean, we, we, we prize and celebrate uh, power and influence. And there's all kind of economic reasons why a person would do that. Um, but all that aside, it, our system celebrates and exalt, exalts power and influence and certainly in our case, Celebrity. I mean, that's what we do. 
And James says, you can't, we can't be like the rest of the world. We can't participate in the same kind of a system that oppresses. Um, in the past several years, I've had the opportunity, along with others, to travel to Kenya. We've been able to minister to um, families that live and work in tea fields. And we have discovered along the way that these families um, are recruited to work in these tea fields, right in the heart of the tea field. Uh, they're barely given any income at all. And then on top of that, the rich landowner leases out land for them to grow their own veggies on. And so it's like, what kind of system is that? Uh, that pays very little, but then keeps on them an additional burden. And James is saying, you know, that's what our world is like. That's what our world is like. It doesn't cater to the needs of the poor. It caters and celebrates the powerful and influential. And that also creeps into the life of the church. Even in church, we have a tendency to, to celebrate or elevate celebrity, don't we? Uh, and we're all caught up in that. No one's exempt for this. Uh, we look to the celebrity. We epitomize celebrity. Even in the church, we kind of think, gosh, if we only had more Tim Tebow's, if we had more uh, Christian politicians, gosh, then things would be better in the church. Uh, if we had more famous preachers, and we elevate preachers all over the place, and none of those guys intended to be in the places that they're in, but we just laud powerful preachers, right? We're captivated by celebrity and influence. We're not exempt from that at all. There's, there's even a I don't know if you're aware of this, there's even an Instagram account called Preacher's Sneakers. Anyone ever heard of this? It's, it's hilarious. Oh, thank you. Some of your hands are keeping up. Uh, it's Preacher's Sneakers. It's, it's, it's intended to be satirical or, or uh, kind of bringing to, to life that we kind of exalt celebrity in our Christian culture. And it, it has pictures of various celebrity pastors who have shoes that are like $1,000 and pictures of them with celebrities and and stuff like that, where even in the church, we celebrate this lifestyle, wealth, and influence, and power. And, and James is like, church, that's not us. That's not, we just do things differently. We, we, we look at people differently than the world looks at people. We do it the way God would have us do it. And it's not just rich and poor, and that's the example James uses, but any kind of discrimination. If someone's external appearance or held values keeps us from being merciful towards them, then James would say, you, you've forgotten the very heartbeat of the gospel, which is to give mercy, even to those, all of us, who don't deserve it. Jesus says, and James says, don't be like the rest of the world that has exalted power and influence and has oppressed the poor. No, you set the captives free. Uh, you'd go about it differently. Not to mention, James would say, it'd be the very rich and powerful and influential in the world that have slandered the church. And again, these are very general statements that talking about big picture world systems of it's the rich and the powerful that stereotypically or have typically historically and even now have, have had very little need for Jesus. Not just little need, but they have things to say about this Jesus. Many of them talk about Jesus if he's a joke or an antiquated mythological man or 
just a good man. They make light of people who follow Christ. And James says, why would you give preferential treatment to a system that does that? Be different. Church, quit putting your hope in the rich and powerful of this world, James would say. Otherwise, you're just like the rest of the world. Just like the rest of the world. The third reason that James gives for putting down or laying down this kind of prejudice is in verses 8 through 11. He says, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. So James is saying, listen, it, that is a worthy investment. We should, we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Of course, in this case, including those people that are very different than us. Verse 9, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Verse 10, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. What, what, is, what is James getting at here? Uh, very clearly, there are things that just obviously are very clear. He says, listen, I want you to know it's good that you love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you absolutely need to be pursuing that. But if you are favoring, favoring some over others, you are still breaking the law of love. It doesn't no matter how well you get it right in all the other areas, but if there is prejudice in your life and giving preferential treatment to others, then you are breaking that law. It doesn't matter how good you are at following all the other commands. If you break one, you break all of them. That's what, that's what James is trying to capture for us as a pastor who has put his faith and trust in his brother Jesus. A person who is trying to find approval with God, right, says, gosh, if I just do eight out of ten, that should be enough for God to say, well done, good and faithful servant, Right? But with a law of mercy, with a law of grace, it's not, it's not about what we do and what we're being able to accrue to ourselves. That what matters is pursuing the very righteousness of God in Jesus. And so for the person who's not dependent upon their works, but dependent upon the works of Christ and, and the heart of Christ, is concerned about all of their life. Uh, they want all of their life to become more and more like Jesus. Not just a part of it. Or to compartmentalize this part of our life and say, you know what, I'm, I'm doing really well over here, but Jesus should be fine with what I'm keeping over here. In this case, prejudice. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep this little prejudice here and set it on my shelf, and, and God's gonna be okay with everything else. And James is saying, no, that, that's not the perspective that we have in this life of faith. That, that as followers of Jesus, there's no place where we're to become comfortable with our sin because Jesus has redeemed us from our sin. Uh, and that we are being made and shaped in the image of his son. And so James is saying you should, be, you should have grave concern about all the sin in your life. Not just some of it. Not just some of it. And he says it this way. If you have, if you have broken even just one of the laws, and that, that is still tainting all of your life. And by the grace of God, you cannot take that little bit for granted. In this case, do not take your prejudice for granted. Do not compartmentalize your prejudice because you feel like you're doing so well in every other part of your life. Don't take it for granted. 
Don't compartmentalize it. Don't insulate it. Now, just thinking about our own church family, I've thought a lot about this this week. I really don't believe there is overt or an overt attitude of prejudice in the First Baptist family. I can't think of anyone that would say, yeah, that's the kind of person I am. None of us. None of us want that. None of us aspire to that. But sometimes uh, throughout this week, I've wondered if, myself included, if we have unintentionally compartmentalized potential for prejudice in us simply because we're surrounded by people a lot like us. And again, that's not intentional. What if we're so insulated because we're mostly surrounded by people just like us that it keeps us from being able to see the kind of prejudice that might be in us? And so it led me to ask some very um, striking questions this week, and I want to share a a few of those with you. And to be honest, I, I didn't have an immediate answer to these questions, so this is not like a gotcha moment. It just gave me enough pause to think, is it possible that I could have prejudice kind of neatly tucked away on a shelf and I just don't see it because it's not a normal part of my life and I don't have to face it? So here are a few of these questions and think with me. Would Logos be for me if 20% of this congregation was made up of neighbors from the streets? What if 20% of the worshiping congregation was homeless in here? Would I be okay with, would Logos be a worship congregation for me? Or would I be inclined to look somewhere else? I don't know the answer to that. But it gave me pause. Here's another one. What if only 10% of the Logos congregation was white? Would I be okay with that? Or, Or would I look for another congregation that was filled with more people like me? Um, what if, um, would, would First Baptist Church family be for me if all the senior leadership were of a different ethnicity of my own? It just gave me pause to think, Is it possible that in us that we can neatly tuck away something because simply we don't have to face it every day? And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think we've gone on our way to do that. But what I think Pastor James is saying is that you can't take that for granted. Uh, that, that we have to do everything that we can to look more and more like Jesus. That means we've got to root that kind of stuff out, that we've got to be people of indiscriminate mercy, and we've got to figure out ways to, uh, to root out any type of prejudice or giving special favor to others. He says, I want you to take it seriously. Don't compartmentalize it. Don't insulate yourself. Expose it if it's there. And by the grace of God, be more like me. Be more like me. The last reason that James gives for laying down a prejudicial spirit or heart, no matter how small, is in verses 12 and 13. 
So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Both Paul and Jesus talk about that. Even as believers, we're going to be held account to what God has given us and how we have loved in this world. Um, And then verse 13, he says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Um, Other translations will render that last verse as mercy triumphs over judgment. It's more a very direct, literal translation, and it's awesome. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is what I think James is really getting at the heart of, is that our prejudice, if it's there, says something about the true condition of our faith. That our, if we are merciful to some and not to others, if we're giving special favor to some and not to others, then it, it says something about the caliber of our faith, the kind of faith that we have. It demonstrates our belief, if we are prejudicial, it demonstrates our belief that somehow we have earned God's approval. That there's something about me and what I look like and what I have or that God approves of above and beyond others who might not have or might not look a certain way. And so also the reverse is true. When we are indiscriminately merciful, we demonstrate the power of the gospel at work in us. We're indiscriminately merciful. It, it illustrates and it speaks volumes about the power of the gospel at work in us, that when we were enemies of God, uh, that when we were sinners, that we received in desperation God's mercy. And because we have been recipients of God's mercy, we can't help but give God's mercy to others. James would say the way you relate to people has a lot to say about the kind of faith that you have. James would say, listen, I want you to know that mercy is the litmus test of real gospel-rooted faith in the most powerful, most influential, wealthiest person in and outside of the universe, Jesus Christ, the the glory, or the Lord of glory. If we go back to verse 1, I think it's so awesome that James begins this little section with saying, brothers and sisters, let me read it for you. Um, He says, brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? There's a reason he's doing that. There's a reason he's saying, Lord, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, because he's saying, listen, I want to remind you that the greatest, most powerful, most influential person in all of the universe is the Lord Jesus. And if our faith is in him... If we seek to honor him with all of our life, then we're going to be about his mission and the way that he does things. And the way that Jesus, the Lord of glory, does things is by giving mercy. And if Jesus gives mercy, and if our faith is in that kind of Jesus, Jesus, James says, you'll be merciful. You'll be merciful. Listen to me. The opposite of prejudice. The opposite of prejudice is not anti-racism or anti-transphobia or 
anti-poverty. The opposite of prejudice is mercy. It's mercy, indiscriminately, merciful to all. And church, if we want to make an impact on this city and this world, if we want to grow as a church family and make disciples and and baptize people of all shapes and sizes and looks and appearances and uh, differing amounts of money in the bank account, if if, if we're going to be that kind of church, then we have to be a merciful church. If we're going to reach the furthest person that looks completely different from us, that we think would never walk through these doors, the only way we're going to do it is by being a merciful church. If we're going to build this church, as Pastor Don would always say, we must be a people of an intentional, indiscriminate mercy. Prejudice or anti-anything has never made a dent in solving the human condition. But mercy, but mercy has. Uh, In our closing, um, we're going to feature a video. It's one of our 160 blessing videos. And in this video, you're going to hear from Tara. Tara works on staff here at First Baptist Church. She acts as our liaison with our uh, Burmese congregations that are church plants. Um, We received Burmese refugees uh, many, many years ago. And God is gracious to our church family and how we responded. But let's watch this video, and then we'll respond. Um, my name is Tara Koba, and I came to San Antonio in 2008, and I became a member of the First Baptist Church in November 2014. In 2008 to 2009, 2010, many Burmese refugees from Thailand, from Malaysia, they came to the United States, and most of our friends came to San Antonio I will say that you are very brave to welcome all these folks. I remember the leaders, the pastors, and the mentors, and church families that, uh, who reached out their hands and uh, opened their arms for those refugees' families that come to town. The international ministry has been started by many, by Pastor Booth. And I will say that he has a, a servant's heart and he, he cared the people very much. And he knew that he has been through that, the life that what the, the, the refugees have been through. And also I remember Pastor Don, he's a great leader and he has a servant heart as well. He always shown his love to, our, to the people. Our church was the first church that, uh, um, who had their six languages in four interpreters um, at one time. We worship at the circle building so it was very packed. It was uh, it was crowded, and and uh, we had uh, um, 
Lao Thai pastor, Pastor Boon, uh, speaks uh, in Thai language and sometimes speaks in English. And when he preached, he preached in Thai and English. Then four other Burmese have to translate in their own language, which is Karen, Kareni, Chin, and Burmese. The First Baptist Church gave birth four different churches that maybe we, we, we have never been dreamed that would happen, but it's truly happened. FBC, SA, Athena Jidi, Dante Night Dido, Yogedu, Piashi E. Alingo, Tolan Nindo, Yopitao, Sutang Bibare. So much has changed, but God is still good. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.